All right, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,829. 1,829. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. These are the inspired words of God. May all those who hear them attain to the, to the resurrection from the dead. I want to begin today's sermon with, by reading for you an excerpt from the July 2017 issue of The Voice of the Martyrs. It says, Imagine sitting in your church listening to the pastor's sermon and suddenly feeling a rush of adrenaline as those around you begin to recognize the familiar whine of a plane approaching. In an instant, everyone runs for cover, leaping into foxholes or seeking shelter behind rocks. For the most dangerous places to be in the Nuba Mountains are church buildings, schools, hospitals, and fields of crops. Sudanese government bombers target the shiny roofs of buildings and anything resembling a field of crops that might be used to help sustain those living nearby. They want them out of the region or dead. Although their church buildings have been bombed they, and they face continual threat of attack, believers in the Nuba Mountains continue to gather faithfully for worship. In their ongoing difficulties, they have no one and nothing to depend on but God. They pray day and night, knowing their lives might be taken at any moment. And Christians in the region have countless opportunities to share Christ with the Muslims who flee the bombings with them. Pastor Mata, who works in the Nuba Mountains, said, Because of persecution, because of hatred, because of a lot of things against us, it made more Muslims open to hear and listen to the gospel. So Christians continue to worship in the Nuba Mountains, encouraging one another and pointing Muslim neighbors to Christ. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Last week I titled my sermon, Knowing Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul had spoke of his former life as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, a man zealous enough to persecute the church. Yet he now considered all of that as rubbish, waste to be thrown to the dogs 
in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, and the righteousness that comes from him. Jesus was now his Lord and Savior, and all else was worthless. For having a righteousness that comes from God, and that is by faith, meant his justification. In God's sight, Paul was no longer viewed as a sinner. Rather, he was a saint in Christ. Not because of anything he did, but simply because Jesus knocked this apostle off his high horse and revealed himself to this man. You see, God had chosen Paul despite of his self-righteous ways. So Paul, he was now consumed with Jesus and the union that he had with his Lord. The most precious thing to him was Christ, and he never looked back. Paul had once walked that broad path of life filled with prestige and honor, but now he journeyed the narrow path, the more difficult course. Look at our passage from today, Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. If Paul's former life was one of worldly wealth and spiritual poverty, in these verses we see what constitutes worldly poverty but spiritual wealth. For Paul now had a righteousness that was not his own, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that is from God. Paul was justified. Yet knowing Christ is more than simply justification. In verse 10, Paul describes what is known as sanctification. And in verse 11, Paul points forward to his future glorification. These three, justification, sanctification, and glorification, they are the three stages of salvation or union with Christ. Justification comes at the moment of salvation. It is when God declares that a person is righteous. Sanctification, then, is God's ongoing work, conforming this new believer into Christ's image. And finally, glorification will occur on the day of Christ's return, when all the dead are raised. Then Christians will no longer have their sinful flesh, but their bodies will be transformed into the good and perfect forms that was God's intention from the beginning. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Knowing Christ Jesus entails all three. This is Paul's desire. Now last week we talked about justification. So let's begin now in verse 10 with sanctification. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Again, Paul states that he wants to know Christ. Knowing Jesus is more than just a one-time event in a person's life. It is an ongoing relationship. The desire of a true Christian is union with Christ. We see this same thing in when Jesus prays for all believers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look with me at John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. My prayer is not for them alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Sanctification is first and foremost becoming one with Christ. Just as Jesus and the Father are one, Christ now desires that you become one with him. In our couple's Bible study, we have been talking about how marriage reflects the gospel message. When a man and a woman join together, they become one flesh. This is a mystical union that takes place. Genesis 2.24 states it this way. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man leaves his former way of life behind and unifies with his wife. Is this not the same imagery that we see with Paul? He left his former life behind as a Pharisee and now is united with Christ. Just as a husband and wife desire to grow in their knowledge of one another, Paul, too, wanted to know Jesus. But more than that, he wanted to know the power of his resurrection. Now, what on earth is Paul talking about here? What does it mean to know the power that rose Jesus from the grave? The clearest explanation of this can be found in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It is here that Paul is countering an argument posed by some that were saying that Christians should sin more in order that God's grace would increase. They were basically arguing for a license to sin. Listen to the apostles' words here. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, 
that we should no longer be slaves to sin. When Paul spoke of the power of the resurrection, he was speaking of his new life that he had in Christ. You see, there, there is no resurrection without a death. Friends, if you are a Christian, then you are to die to sin. You are to crucify that former way of life. For it is sin that separates you from God. Knowing Christ must be followed by knowing the power of his resurrection. For sin has to be dealt with. Sanctification is, is not just looking for forgiveness every time you break God's law. Rather, it is Christ preparing you for that final state of being when sin shall be no more. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead now works in you, training and instructing you to become more and more like your new master. This isn't an easy process. That is why Paul continues his thought by saying that he wanted to know the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death. As Americans, you, you live in a land where the pursuit of happiness is an elevated goal. Hence, this teaching on Christian suffering is downplayed greatly. We don't like to hear that the Christian life is marked by pain. Instead, people, they scratch their itching ears by seeking out teachers who will say the things they want to hear. No greater example of this resurrection of the or rejection of the doctrine of suffering can be found than in churches that preach the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is the false teaching that God doesn't desire Christians to experience any hardship or any pain. They claim that a Christian who has strong enough faith will be both healthy and wealthy. Yet in making such remarks, they have nullified the word of God. For the Bible teaches the exact opposite. Already we have seen this in Paul's letter. In Philippians 1.29, Paul tells them that they too would suffer. Philippians 1.29 says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. God had gifted to this church the opportunity to face turmoil for the name of Christ. And Paul viewed this as a positive thing. For suffering is a reminder of the union that they had with Christ. The very one who took upon himself the pain of the cross for their sake. When you suffer for Christ, not only is it a badge of honor, but it gives assurance of salvation as well. For it is only through the work of the Holy Spirit that men can remain loyal to Jesus in the midst of persecution. 
And if anyone knew tribulation as a Christian, Paul was the man. In fact, from the point of his conversion, Jesus called this man to a life of pain. Look at our first scripture reading again. Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. From day one, Jesus called Paul to a life of hardship. Paul was God's chosen instrument. He was that battering ram that would knock down the gates to the Gentile world. Blow after blow would impact and shape him. But Paul rejoiced in all of this, for his desire was to become like Jesus in his death. Suffering was the call on Paul's life. It was a calling on the lives of the brothers and sisters in Philippi. And if you are in union with Christ, it is what God has called upon you as well. If you want to connect deeply with your Savior, then embrace suffering. Yet for God's people, suffering is never the final state. Story after story, we see this very thing in the Old Testament. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, then falsely accused of rape, and he was put into prison. But he rose to, became, to become second in command in Egypt. Or how about King David? King Saul grew so jealous of him that he tried to spear him to the wall. Saul then chased him throughout the land, making him an, out, an outlaw. Yet God faithfully delivered on his promise to David. And this fugitive sat upon the throne over Israel. Or what about Daniel? He was taken from his home and family and forced into the service of a wicked king. Yet God had given to Daniel both wisdom and understanding. Though his enemies plotted his demise, God raised him up beyond his turmoil to the highest positions in the land. All of these stories and more were just a, a foretaste of what was to come through Jesus, the God-man who was crucified for the sins of the world, yet was raised from the dead in glory and now sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling over his kingdom. Likewise, Paul's journey would not end in sorrow. Verse 11. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Glorification. That final state after Christ's return, when sin shall be no more, the turmoil of this life will be over, and eternal peace shall commence. 
for God's chosen people, for those who know Christ Jesus, resurrection from the dead is that ultimate hope that drives them forward through their suffering. They have the knowledge that Jesus will one day deliver them from all of their troubles. Such knowledge helps them to take up their cross and follow him. You see, suffering is a precursor to glory. Romans 8, 17 says this, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. To know Christ is to both share in his sufferings and to share in his glory. For Paul, such were the thoughts that drove him to be the missionary that he was. He was focused on Jesus. This is what Christians should be preparing for. Glorying in Christ. For when that, when that day finally comes, when Christ returns, he will be the focal point of all existence. That is why Paul wanted to know Jesus, even his sufferings. He was training to be in the presence of his Lord. He was learning to bask in the glory that is Christ. And all the suffering that Paul had to endure, it will not have been in vain. For each time he was shamed, or whipped, or imprisoned for Jesus, God's glory was proclaimed to a lost world. This is true for all Christians who are persecuted for Christ. God is powerful enough to redeem suffering. Justification. Sanctification. Glorification. They all come through union with Christ. Paul, he was humbled by this vision of his Lord. And Jesus showed him how much he had to suffer for his name. Yet in his suffering, Paul took great joy. For it intimately connected him with his Lord. And he looked forward to the day when that sinful flesh would finally be dealt with as he would be in the presence of his God. Dear friends, this should be your desire as well, that you would know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I imagine that our brothers and sisters in the Nuba Mountains are much like Paul, thankful for every day that they get to share in Christ's sufferings. For it means another day, another day to know the power of his resurrection. It means deeper connection with their Lord. 
It means one more day that the gospel can go out to their Muslim neighbors who do not know Jesus. It means a future day when all their turmoil and pain will be stopped as they enter into the new heavens and the new earth. A world that knows no war, that knows no violence, that knows no death. Brothers, sisters, you need to understand the character and content of your faith. You need to know Jesus Christ, your Lord. Stop being intimidated by your opponents. Jesus is your all in all. Let go of the things of this world and join in Christ and in his sufferings. Turn away from that pursuit of happiness and start looking to the resurrection from the dead. For it is there that you will find true joy. It is there that you will find Jesus. Let us pray. Father, encourage us this day to take your word to heart. Let our desires be for your Son, that we may fellowship with him in his sufferings. Let our minds be focused on the resurrection from the dead, in order that we might find joy in the midst of our trials in this world. Guide us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.